Welcome to a program of action workshop. My name is Nilana and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. We remind you that this session is being recorded. All speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. The format for this session is is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by three-minute open shares until the end of the session. The topic for this session is a program of action. The following is a reading from the OA 12 Steps and 12 Traditions from page 16. We began taking actions which others told us had worked for them. Whether or not we believed these actions would work for us didn't seem to matter. Once we took the action and saw it work, we began to believe. Then we tried other suggestions and our lives began to be transformed. It was the beginning of a healing process that would relieve us of the compulsive compulsion to overeat and bring stability to our unbalanced lives. As we responded with action to the love we had been shown in OA, the result was a new faith in ourselves, in others, and in the power of that love. I would like to introduce our first speaker, who is Jeannie from San Francisco. Virginia. I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, can you hear me okay? Uh, I, I actually have some notes that I, I wrote on my phone. Um, my printer's not working, so forgive me if I, if I look down a little bit and cheat. Um, when I first got asked to um, take on this topic, um, <laughs> This is just typical. I don't think I read the directions because I'm not very good at taking, you know, instruction. <laughs> and, um, but I looked at it a couple of days ago, and it's like uh, actions that others had told us that have worked for them. So I started thinking about what are the things that have really stood out in my mind over the years. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when I came into OA and a couple other um, numbers about me before I, I really dig in, because I've been here a long time. Um, I came in, I was just racking my brain. I came in when I was either a freshman or a sophomore in college. I don't know why I can't remember which year it was, but that is going on 40 years ago. And um, and the the and I I'm maintaining about a 50 pound weight loss. And I'm also anorexic and bulimic, so the, the range of that, it was the 50-pound weight loss, but I was also 15 or 20 pounds um, lighter than, than I am now. So it, it, it spans the, the gamut. Um, so I'm very grateful to be here and, um, and still here. So 
Um, basically, the first thing somebody told me was um, someone in the dorm when I was in, in college. Uh, she noticed that I had come in in September and that by January, I don't know, I was 30 pounds or so heavier than, than I was. And not only was I heavier, um, I, I think I, at that point I was starting to s skip class. I was isolating and um, this person was in OA, and she told me, hey, there's, there's a meeting like, down the street on Wednesday night. Maybe you should check it out. So that was the first thing somebody told me that I followed, followed an instruction. It took me, I think, at least a month to get there, um, but I did get there. <clears throat> and then um, one of the things they told me was, you know, Get a plan of eating. Write, start writing your food down and committing your food. And, of course, it, all those years ago, there was just one or two things, gray sheet, and I think there was another sheet as well. Um, but I think it was important for me to follow that direction, to get clear about um, what I was eating instead of being in denial. Um, and I was, I was a pretty low-bottom eater um, in that I would eat food out of the garbage. I would, it would steal money to get food. Um, I dropped out of school. I lose jobs. Um, and it's, it's good for me to, to get back in touch with how bad it was um, because there's, there's a lot of years between today and, and that time in my life. But um, I don't ever want to forget that. Um, so, so anyway, what else did people tell me? Um, they told me about writing a food history in that first step. Like, what, you know, what has this been costing you um, in terms of compulsive overeating? Like, what, you know, what are your losses? What, what is this doing to your, to your life and, and, and your health and your ability to, you know, be present in your life? So that's something that I tell my sponsees when they come in that first step. Um, write down a food history and get it down on paper and, and really look at it. Get honest, you know, with yourself and for yourself. Um, another really, really um, great thing that somebody told me around step one is, and, and this is also about my history. So when I came in, I didn't get abstinent right away. In fact, I actually gained more weight than the first time I came in because you heard me say I gained that 30 pounds right away, but then there was more weight, more weight that came on. Um, and I relapsed, I think it was like about five years into the program. I was just having a, a lot of uh, problems. And I talked to an old-timer. Um, she's no longer alive, but at the time, I don't know, she had had decades of abstinence in this program and also in AA. And she listened to me very carefully about what I was doing, what I was not doing. And she said to me, you know, I really don't think you're, you're willing. You just don't sound like you're, you're willing to stop. And um, anybody that's heard me share hears me share this, because it was, again, one of the most powerful things anybody ever told me in the program all these years. She um, suggested that I, that I pray for the willingness to be willing. And I started doing that. And she said, you know, just do it while you're, you know, even if you're overeating or you're, you know, making bad food choices or you're, at that time, I think I was also throwing up. Um, just, um, just start asking and praying for the willingness to be willing. And I did that, and it, it became my mantra. And I almost call that step zero to me. Um, and sure enough, and now I have, it's 30-some it's years back to back. That was, the, um, that was the way in 
to my abstinence. So it was praying for the willingness to be willing. And basically what that was saying is I needed to be able to take direction. This is like the whole uh, focus of, of, of this um, panel today. I need to be able to take direction, but unless I was willing to take direction, you know, I wasn't going anywhere. I was just staying in the food. So asking for the willingness to be willing has been extremely powerful. And I still use it because there's a lot of things in my life that I'm still, um, you know, grappling with, of course, being a human being, it just never stops. But, um, I need to ask for the willingness to be willing, um, in many areas of my life. My, my biggest challenge right now is my work life. Um, need to be willing to be willing to just ask to be a worker among workers, for example, um, because I'm powerless over my desire to be at the top of the heap or the bottom of the heap. So, so that's, that's um, what I remember around step one. Step two came to, came to believe. Um, when I hear about step two, I often think about meetings and, and just the people that I meet in the program, my fellows and my, my sponsors um, and, and sponsees, because I have obviously been here a, a while, and there's been times in the program where I've gotten really rebellious, I've gotten really off the beam, um, I've gotten like kind of jaded or, or, or sour on, you know, just on a bunch of stuff, and um, one suggestion that was made to me was to do 90 meetings in 90 days, 90 and 90. And um, I've done that several times in the, since I've been here in the program. But whether you do that or not, what I find, and it happened to me this morning when I came in, I came in and I listened to the Aging Gracefully um, panel right before this. I'll come in and I'll be in my head and I'll be running some negative trip on myself and I'll sit down in the chair, and sometimes it happens within five minutes, sometimes it takes a half an hour or longer. But all of a sudden, I start to be restored to sanity. You know, I, I came, I came to, I came to believe. And to me, that is really broken down in the three parts. Coming is just like getting here and sitting my butt in the seat or picking up the phone or talking to the person next to me. And then I come to, I get out of myself, I get out of, you know, my disease and I become, I become willing. Um, so step two to me is, is all about, you know, coming, showing up, reading the literature. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and that's how I come to. Um, step three, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. This one has been so, so challenging for me. It, it still is. I'm extremely strong-willed. I still am. Um, you know, my definition of God, my relationship to God has, has changed over the years. I came in as um, agnostic, and now I, I am totally not, not an agnostic. But sometimes it's hard for me to define, you know, what is my higher power, um, and, and how do I have this living, active relationship with that power, which is like at the, the core of me working a, a, a program. Um, I just heard it mentioned in the, in the last panel. Um, someone suggested that I make a God box, and I've been using that over the last six months. I was talking about having some challenges with work. Every morning, you know, it seems like a lot of the same things go in the box, but I write them down, I put the date on, and I throw it in the box. Um, and so maybe somebody hearing this might think, oh, that's a gimmick. Um, but what it, it actually does for me, it, it makes me conscious and says, you know, there is these things that are on my mind that are bothering me that I think I should be controlling or I'm worried about. 
I am just going to write them down and I am going to put them over there and I'm going to say, God, please take them. Because the more I can get in touch with um, not running my own life and realizing that I'm not my higher power, the better off I am in my life. So the God box for step three has, has been great. Um, also suggestions about, um, you know, writing down characteristics that you would like to have in a higher, higher power. Um, I'm going to have to rub it up here. Um, and then experimenting with other people's higher powers. Um, you know, as I said, going to meetings, listening to a lot of podcasts, you hear, you know, all different kinds of, um, relationships and, and conceptions of a higher power. And sometimes I have to borrow somebody else's higher power, but there, there is no question that this is like, you know, pivotal point in my program. Um, I got 10 minutes left and I, it wasn't necessarily my intention to go through each one of the steps, but again, I'm just going through like, what have people told me if it's around a certain step that, that really, really, really helped me. Um, on step four, um, one of the most helpful things someone suggested to me, and I've done several four steps over the years. Um, the last one I did, I used the big book method. And I had actually done four steps before using those columns in the big book. But this time, um, I don't know why, I never really heard it or saw it. And that's the magic of the big book. You know, new stuff appears all the time that I swear I never saw before. Um, but um, that last column where was I self-seeking, selfish, dishonest, and afraid? And so for every resentment I had, um, almost every resentment, I went through those four things. Selfish meaning what didn't I want to give? Self-seeking was what was I trying to get? And then dishonest, and that could be like by omission or commission. And afraid, you know, my life <laughs> has been shot through with fear as addicts. It just is the way that it is. But, you know, ever since I did my fourth step that way, and I did my fifth step, you know, as as well, of course, those four things have really stayed with me. And any time, you know, even when doing a, a 10 step or spot check inventory, or if I have a resentment, I have to, I have to kind of step back and say, where am I being selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or afraid? And when I can see my part in any situation, all of a sudden, it's not just all about, you know, what they did to me. It's about, hey, I, I got a part in this too. You know, that's, that's, to me, is sanity. That's where the steps are coming in to restore me to sanity on a daily basis. Um, so let's go to um, step nine. Step nine has been one of the most difficult steps for me. I would say it is the, the most difficult step for me. And again, all the time that I've been here, um, I still have not finished some of my original amends. I'll just, I'll just say that. And so I've been circling back on that um, because I really get that there's some freedom that I can experience by, by letting go and by repairing some damage that's been, been done. Um, I have, and actually... I thought I, I lost it. I, here are some things that, that I wrote down at a meeting recently that was about step nine. And so these are instructions. What, what do people suggest? Be deliberate. Be clear on your intentions. Remember that it's ongoing. It's, it's, it's a never really done step. 
Um, if you're having problems with the ninth step, go back to six and seven. And help me prepare for being a more forgiving person. Um, and remember that the ninth step is that I want to have the best possible relationship with everyone. Um, getting along versus being right, and that's huge for me. Um, and then it talks about good judgment, careful sense of timing, courage, and, and prudence. So, And I'm, I'm currently working on an amends. Um, it's, it's funny how things come up. I was, um, I was with someone I'm very close to in the program, and I can't remember whether we were uh, watching something on television or, or we heard something. Uh, someone had done like a, a, a hit and run, um, had hit a dog or something and, and just drove away. Well, that reminded me that when I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, um, I did that. Um, I was eating, I was binging in my car. This is when I lived in Ohio and I was driving down the road and I even remember what County I was going through and I'm pretty sure it was a dog, but because I was binging my brains out while I was driving, I just, I just drove on. And that friend helped me talk through about the harm that I did, you know, to thanks this, (laughs) This creature, potentially the the family or the the people that were associated with it, and also myself, and we just worked through it um, and and came up with a plan about what I could do, you know, almost forty years later, to to clean that up. Um, and it's something that I thought that I had I had done, but I really hadn't. So I, again, I just have to be willing. That this stuff kind of springs up, um, you know, seemingly out of nowhere. And when it's time to deal with it, it's time. Um, and, and suddenly, you know, it's, it's clear. I don't know why it took so long, but it's clear. Um, so I've got five minutes left. I guess the last thing I, I want to talk about um, is the 10th and 11th step. Um, this is something that I'm also really focused on right now. And, and it comes through... Um, working with one of my sponsees um, who's just gone through through the steps. And we hit step 10, and I realized I had really never developed a practice of a written 10th step like they talk about in the big book. And you can tell I really, I I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I think ROA literature is great, but for me, for whatever reason, that's that's where I've focused my program, and so I've been doing that now for the last couple of months. Um, you know, writing down my my resentments, my fears. Um, was I kind and loving towards all? Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself? You know, which should be discussed at once. And I am noticing the changes, just like they say. I am noticing the changes in my daily life. I'm noticing that my day is going better. I'm noticing that I'm feeling, you know, clearer and lighter. Um, and, and also, and I talked about this in the fourth and fifth step, when those resentments keep coming up day after day, I get to honestly look and see, well, what am I, what am I resentful about here? And then when I step back, I see if, something that I think they're doing to me or not doing, I ask myself, is this something that I've done in my life? And 99 times out of 100, yes, it is something that, that I, I've done. And it, it helps me let go of those resentments in, in, instead of seeing, you know, like 
a them and a me. It's we, you know, we're human beings. We, we do this stuff. Um, we're, you know, we're all, <laughs> you know, we're all just trying to do, do our best. And then that 11th step, which um, has been, you know, intermittently in my life and out of my life, getting back to that and, and making a practice every day, um, even if it's for a minute, you know, that counts. Um, and, and hopefully it's longer than that. And when it is, it's, it's a better day than, than when it's not. Um, and I know I'm probably getting to the end of my time. Um, and my 12th step thing just fell down here on the floor. I have all kinds of props. Um, as I was running out of the, the house this morning, I know this is something that one of my very first sponsors gave me. Um, and it's a pencil that says, Celebrate God's Gifts. And how this ties in with the 12-step, well, two things. One, you know, this person was extremely generous, and they, they shared so much of their time and, and knowledge, experience, strength, and hope with me. Um, as I've, you know, just, you know, d- done just a, a little bit of, of compared to, to all that I got from, from this person. Um, and it also reminds me that I have... Um, as a result of these steps, I have a spiritual awakening. And to me, part of that spiritual awakening is celebrating God's gifts. And when I walked out of the front door of our house this morning, there was this beautiful bird that was singing. And we live in San Francisco, and sometimes it's hard. We don't have beautiful birds singing. Sometimes it's the crows that are, like, cocking because like, the garbage is out and it's horrible. But I looked up, and at the very top of this tree was this beautiful bird singing. And, um, and I thought, that's, that's celebrating God's gifts. Thank you, God. And um, to me, that kind of encapsulates, you know, the gifts I get from this program a day at a time. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Our second speaker is Liat from Sunnyvale. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Good. Man, thank you. Thank you, Virginia, for the beautiful uh, share and the experience. And uh, this is, I love OA. OA saved my life. Um, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in uh, December 18th of uh, 1987. I was 17, and I was beat up by this disease. Um, I remember myself, and I'm just going to qualify a little bit before I get into the topic, but from very early age, I remember food was my go-to. I was a very sensitive little kid. I was overreactive, and uh, I couldn't take anything. It was just too much for me, everything that everybody does. And, you know, of course, I was also, uh, I grew up in a painful home, like most of, a lot of us, and I couldn't take it. It was just too much for me. And once I got that food, the first time, I don't remember the first time, but I know early on enough, it gave me that ease and comfort. The first, when I take the, that bite of sugary, flowery, 
whatever it is, I always got that feeling of ease and comfort, the whole where everything is okay. But before that, I can't take it. You know, I, I, I want to kill myself. And so, um, so I got that mental addiction to food. You know, I knew the minute I don't feel comfortable, the minute I'm... And even when things are happening, good things are happening, I took that bite, and it was wonderful. And it worked for a really long time, you know, until it didn't. And around 17, with the hormones and all this stuff that goes on, I... Um, I wanted to commit suicide, and I went to school counselor, and she told me, you know, why don't you go to this therapy? And they led me to OA. And, you know, something that was uh, said in that script um, uh, about the power, of, the power of that love that OA has, and that was my experience. You know, I was 17. I, I, I grew up in Israel. I spoke only Hebrew. And I came to an me- English-speaking meeting. And, but the love in the room was so indescribable <laughs> that I got hooked right away. I was beat up my whole life for stealing food, for uh, um, stealing money to get food, for manipulating people to get food. And here... You know, so I was hated by my mom for being a heavy kid because I was the girl and I was supposed to be pretty so someone will marry me. And, um, and here I come to Overeaters Anonymous and I was 17. I was surrounded by mothers who loved me because I was a food addict. My mom hated me because I was a food addict. And so she didn't hate me. She just she wanted good things for me. So... Uh, that loving of OA brought, you know, kept me in, you know, that kindness, that place where you're not feeling judged because you're overweight, because you just ate like an animal. And everyone says, yeah, you know, you can stand up and share your gruesome story and people come after, can I have your phone number? Uh, so, uh <laughs> You know, I was loved because I was broken, because I had this this disease, and it kept me for a long time, that love that I was longing for. But that love didn't stay, kept me clean. You know, I kept going to the food. I had different sponsors that told me different things. And the topic here is, you know, doing all, you know, taking the action, following that person, and that sponsor that tells you that the one that is thin now, you know, I was about 80 pounds, 80 to 90 pounds overweight. She's thin. Maybe she has something to tell me that I will be thin too because it was my dream. If I could only be thin, you know, life would be perfect. And I thought, you know, so I would have sponsors. And then the spiritual ones, maybe she's so spiritual that I'll be, but I was really never willing to do all it took. You know, I was I was still self-sufficient. You know, was you know when push came to shove, I am going to take care of business. And the first thing that my brain tells me is, "Go eat. You'll feel better, and we'll listen to her later." Um, and that's what I did until that didn't work. 
And that was in uh, February 28th of 2000, where I hit a real bottom in a way. I wasn't the heaviest, uh, and it was not the lowest point, but I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't go back to the food. The food brought me to the gates of insanity. I was tired of that cycle of going back to the food and, And then promising that I'm not going to do it again, going back to the food and promising. And it just was just driving me crazy. This is never going to happen, I thought. And I remember walking with my husband. And I said, maybe when I'm 72 and I don't have appetite anymore, I'm not going to binge anymore. And I'm a binge eater. I'm not a grazer, you know. So I would go for quantities of food and I would sit. And my bar is a movie theater where it's dark and... And you just sit with a movie and you fantasize this is how life is going, or you cry because it's so horrible. you know I love to cry with movies and my food, you know, and that was my bar so um you know, but it didn't work anymore. There was a point when I got up in the morning, and my worst binges, and some of my friends you know, I had a gallon of frozen stuff and a gallon free, and I went for the cheap stuff because I needed quantities. So I go to that Safeway, and I get to get one free. The free and I knew the concussion, right? You know, salty, fatty, with sugary. So I, and, and I, the kids, stuff with the kids, so they leave me alone. I went for the fix. And I popped that frozen thing in the, the gallon thing in the microwave so I don't get a brain freeze. If you ever want, that's a great <laughs> trick. It works. And I just... gulped it down my alcoholic husband recovered alcoholic then saw for the first time because I was a secret eater you know I was no one would ever see me eat I was very ashamed of it and for me it was great because for the first time in my life I got to show him the truth I thought he would feel sorry for me and he was very angry and hurt because he loved me and he saw his wife hurting herself with food and And so he, and I didn't understand that. I really didn't see that I was a violent eater. That was hurting myself. If I saw my child doing that, I would cry. Why would you do that? That is so sad. Why would you eat so violently? What are you trying to kill? kill? What, what pain are you carrying that you're trying to erase? So this is the turning point, and this is... where I was willing to do all it take. And for me, the turning point was being really honest with the truth that I have a physical allergy. I'm never going to be able to eat that frozen, sugary stuff with, a, with uh, impunity. I would never be able to do that. It will always trigger an allergic reaction which says, eat more. Maybe I'll rest for a few hours and then my mind will start eating. sending me there so I had to really understand that I have a physical problem that I was born with and it's never gonna go away it doesn't matter from 72 or 100 it's staying for good and I need to address it and I also love the big book and the suggest the only suggestion in the big book is entire accident so I had to identify the food that throws me back to that cycle of craving it's not the brain that makes me crave It's the food that I'm eating, and that's a separate subject. So I had to, f- to really be honest about it. I had to see, you know, there's sugar I can't eat. I can't eat any type of sugar. That has to have a big X on it. 
Anything that owes, somebody told me, owes. Glucose, fructose, that's sugar. I had honey. No, I, so I had to entire abstinence on that one. Flowery things. So I had a list. And I also had behaviors. I'm a quantity eater. So I have to put limits. And the only way I can put limits on quantity is by weighing it. I'm not doing, you know, I need to weigh my food because my eye, you know, someone was once said, I have the problem with it. More, more. That's how I see. You know, I, for me, I don't know what four ounces looks like. So, and four ounces, somebody told me once that it's the right amount. So I weigh my food as part of my entire abstinence. And uh, I eat three meals a day, nothing in between. And I commit it daily to a sponsor because I don't trust myself. I'm the type of per- I'm a food addict. I don't trust myself, and I'm, I don't trust any other food addict, too. <laughs> that's my experience. So that's the food. Now, if I had only a problem with food, that would be great, right? Because I'll join a tennis club, you know? I, why do I need to see you here? I don't have time for that. I could have fun. I have another problem. Who is my main issue? And it's centered in my mind. It's what sends me to the food. If I'm not eating, I'm, I, the, aller, the allergic problem is taken care of. But I have this obsessive, remember that ultra-sensitive, overreactive Liat that was born that way? She's not going away too. So once emotions pile up on me, I don't know what to do. And what I did in the past is self-sufficient, which means either die with the food or, I don't know, close myself, cry. I, I, I wouldn't know what to do. And so this program offers God. Wow. That is so wonderful. I need transformation. I need my mind to think differently. If it always thought, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So that lady that told me how to eat told me also how to live. And Liat didn't work anymore. I had to look at the truth with the food, and I had to look at the truth of my mental state, which is constantly throwing me off. I have a problem differentiating the truth from the false. You know, if you nod and you say, yeah, yeah, and smile to me, I think I'm great. If you walk out the door, I think, why did I do? I'm not... I'm constantly, I'm so self-centered. I think constantly about myself. I don't even, I am convinced that I know what you think. And the truth is that I don't know what you think. How can I know what you think? You might be thinking about your husband. You might be going through cancer. I don't know what's going on in your mind. But I think that you think about me. And I also know what you think about me. You hate me. Because I hate me. So... (laughs) And that's the part. That's the heavy part because it's easy. You know, I have been for over 18 years free, completely free. I have no thoughts of eating compulsively. And that's a miracle because I did not have a defense against that first bite. The minute it came to my head, I was off to the races. But once that was lifted... I, I have this mind that I have to take care of daily. And what was mentioned is the steps. And so I work my butt off <laughs> daily to just maintain some stability. And different people have different experiences. This is me. I'm a low bottom. I'm an extreme. I take myself to the end. 
of existence. I want to die at the end of the day. After a binge, I am depressed, not only heavy. I am depressed. I'm hopeless. And that doesn't go away because my food is done, because I have weight. I still am, am depressed. <laughs> I'm still lonely. I find myself in you know, all those things. So to get to a place where I'm comfortable in this life, I need to work the steps. And the first steps, three steps, are steps of admission. They're nothing step. They're the easiest thing to do. I admit, yeah, I'm powerless. I was powerless over food. My life had become unmanageable. I don't need to be stuck there forever, which I used to be. Yeah, I understand that only a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. What else could be? If you're absent in two days, then you're my higher power right now because I don't have it. You know, I need someone who has a higher power than me. I don't care what, what is it called, but it has to be more than me because my power is not working. And the third step is making a decision. That's all it is. Say, okay, what do you want, Liat? To die or to live? Mm, let me think. Uh, I think I'll choose to live. So how do I know that the third step is fulfilled? Is by taking a fourth step. That's it. You know, is action. You know, and I was shown through the big book how to take those columns and how to find out where have I been selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid. And that's the root of my problems. It's not you. I want to blame you. It would be so wonderful. And for years, people would say, make three phone calls. And what would I do? I would call you and tell you what my husband did to me and my child did to me. And I'm stuck in me. And I'm not getting recovered. Which is what I'm looking for here. I'm not here to be friends. I can make friends in many places. I'm here to recover. I'm dying here. And so when I call someone today, I call after I take an inventory and I find out my part. And if I don't find my part, I call someone who knows how to find my part so they can call on my crap because I am a manipulative, very complicated person. You know, I can convince you that they are bad and they're hurting my life. And what do you do with that anyways? So uh, I'm grateful for also people here that know how to listen to me and how to call on my stuff. And what's expected from me from now on is to continue and grow spiritually. So to continue to change that mindset that goes back to self-call all the time. And, you know, it is true. The daily work the nightly review that the big book offers for I need to it says were you loving to all that's a hard that's a hard um, you know thing to live up to I need to be loving to all and you know did I harm someone am I honest I need to live on a higher level of existence if I want to continue to grow and stay away and have a space between food and I so, you know, for me to do what others suggested, and it is suggested, as my husband always said, it's suggested to put a parachute when you jump off of an airplane. You don't need to. You can jump without. But it is suggested. And this is my experience. You know, I better put that parachute, you know, and I need, and, you know, and I, and I am, and daily, you know, and then working with others, which is a, another wonderful gift. So, um, 
This program is phenomenal. I don't know what I wrote here. I'm sure a million things that I didn't even say. I had a great share in the car. I should have been there. Uh, but, um, you know, the truth is really bottom line, from taking directions to the T, precise, the precise direction that the big book offers me. I have recovered. I'm not cured. I'm daily facing Liat and the Liat that was born, that sensitive little girl. Um, but I also have power that I never had before. I, feel, I don't feel powerless. And that's what the, fourth, the first step says. We were. It's in past tense. We were powerless. Over, that's what the promise is to be. I was powerless. I have power today. I can walk around food. I have sugar in my house. I have people that eat ice cream. Ice cream is not calling me from the refrigerator. You know, I, it can stay there and rot as far as I'm concerned. It's nothing to me. I'm free. I don't need to take things out of my house to be okay. I'm okay under my skin. And sometimes I'm not, but I'm okay with that too. I know that there is a way out. And I know that there are women in my life that can get me through it in this room and help me get to the other side very quickly. So um, I think my time is up. No, I have one more minute. I just, you know, if it worked for me, you've heard that a million times, right? I mean, there's no way that it can't work for me for you because I'm rebellious. You know, I don't take directions. I, I'm so used to self-sufficiency that first I'll do my way and then maybe I'll consider you. Uh, so if it worked for me, it will work for anyone else. So anyways, I love you all. Thank you. Thank you, Liat. Our third speaker is Doris from Oakland. Hi, I'm Doris. I'm a compulsive overreader. Can you hear me? Okay. Well, the truth is, is that I have a really wonderful sponsor who's supposed to be the speaker here today, and she couldn't make it. So because I do what she tells me to do, I'm here now. Um, So I've had about an hour to think about what I was going to say, to misunderstand the prompt, to take some notes, to be inspired by the speakers. Um, But I think it's a great topic for me. I I think I have some things to say that um, I'm hoping you haven't heard yet today. Um, So just briefly, um, I came into OA about 17 years ago. And um, this sponsor that I have now who asked me to speak today, she started calling me after the meeting. And I didn't want anybody to call me. I, I really thought you guys were weird. Like maybe this is a cult. I had a terrible feeling in my stomach, like this horrible feeling of misery. And I just hated it. And it just seemed like the, like now I really effed up. Here's the last house on the block. Um, and this person who started calling me, she scared me. She really, really scared me. She was really intimidating and turns out she's actually really sweet and smart. But at the time I just felt scared and upset, but she called me and she was a very reasonable person and she suggested I keep coming back. And, um, and so I did. So I kept going to meetings and there she would be. And, um, I would go to her and I would complain about the meeting. 
And she would say, well, you know, keep coming back. And I would say, uh, at one point I was upset because it was a big meeting. In, in Oakland, there's a ton of meetings. There's a ton, a ton of great recovery. And so I would be in a big meeting and everybody knew each other's names. And this really upset me. I just thought it was really mean that they were calling each other by name. And so I talked to this person. She wasn't yet my sponsor. She was just somebody I knew. And she kept saying, well, how was the meeting? Like She looked me in the eye, and she looked like she really wanted to know how I was responding to the meeting. And I said, well, yeah, it seems like people are kind of inspired. And I don't know. It sounds like bullshit to me. And I don't know. And, and why do they know each other's names? That's so rude. And she said, well... If it really bothers you, you know what you could do? And I said, what? She said, you could, you could bring it up at the business meeting. You could come to the business meeting and you could make a suggestion. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. She said, well, that's fine. Maybe you could just let that go if, you're not, if you don't want to do anything about it. And so uh, anyway, she's been my sponsor for 17 years. And I asked her to be my sponsor, and I, I really haven't regretted it. You know, I mean... I needed some help. I needed somebody to walk me through the basic things like that. Like just how do you feel right now? How do you answer honestly when somebody asks you how you are? Um, and then I needed a lot of other help too. It turns out that having someone in my life, someone in my life who has clear boundaries, like I thought everybody was codependent. I thought everybody was over-emotional, that everybody would just lived with chaos, generated chaos, wanted chaos in their life. She doesn't want that. She wants to be abstinent. She wants to lean a sane and reasonable life. And I needed a lot of help figuring that out because my impulses leave me to drama, leave me to chaos, leave me to controlling other people. And then it's really hard for me to take care of myself. And there's food as like the one thing that always helped me deal with chaotic home. And if I have chaos everywhere in my life, I can't really... I need comfort. I seek food. So she helped, she applied reason to many problems in my life. She applied, she helped me apply the steps. She helped me get a food plan. She helped me stick to it. Um, And again, the things that I do are not, they're not unreasonable things. They were just impossible things before I came in here. Um, So I just have this list of things that, um, that I just wanted to share with you because these are things that not only Christina, who hopefully you'll get to hear one other day, but other people have told me um, to do and that I do do. So, so the prompt for today was um, had to do with uh, taking directions from others. But when I got the text, it said, um, I thought of the tool, uh, an action plan. And it says here, the program of action. And so these are the actions that I take, and these are the ways that being in recovery has helped me develop on the actions I want to take, but I'm unwilling to take. I mean, so much of recovery is about that willingness. And at first, all I was willing to do was to go to that first meeting. And, and that was enough, it turned out. But everything I've, I've, that I've been, that's been suggested to me, I had to have the willingness to try it. And where do you get that willingness? It seems to me like that's a mystery. It still is a mystery to me. Um, so... Uh, the, the first thing that I thought I've had to do with a um, plan of action around my spiritual recovery. Um, I come in, I'm agnostic, I, I'm resistant, I'm nervous about 
the word God, which is throughout the big book and throughout our literature, and it, it really does continue to bother me. But it turns out it doesn't matter that it bothers me because I need recovery, and I, it's possible for me to have a spiritual life, even though that's true for me. So what I've learned to do is apply the plan of action to my creative life because that's where my higher power lives with me. I, I, I sing, and I love music. I'm really interested in music. And yet I wasn't practicing I wasn't performing. I wasn't listening to enough music. I wasn't having, didn't have it in my life. And what, by, by applying the action plan to my life with the help of my sponsor and other people, I came to see that I wanted to be back in lessons. I still didn't want to practice, but I wanted to be back in lessons. So I did that for a while, and I continued to not practice. How am I ever going to learn to practice, right? When I was 11 and I started playing piano, my teacher said practice. I said yes, but I meant never, <laughs> right? How do you change your behavior? How do you do that? How do you, and so I was always living with this pain of wanting to be better at something, but being unwilling to do the actual work that it takes to do it. And my teacher said to me, you know, the only difference between us is 10,000 hours of practicing and I was like, well, okay, I'm never going to do that. You know, I mean, how do we do this? So now that I practice much more regularly, I have a thing, I have a calendar, and I have a big pink pen. And every time I practice, I can get to go over to it and put a pink circle on that date. But practicing isn't an hour of arpeggios. You know, practicing can be thinking about it. It can be stretching my back. It can be breathing. It can be thinking of a song. It can be going to a lesson. It's like whatever, where I'm okay where I am as long as I'm on the path. And it doesn't have to be a big long list of everything that I did perfectly. You know, just like food, it's always imperfect. And a lot of the actions have to do with, for me, have to do with applying that to life. Eat, having a relationship with food is always imperfect. It's like progress, not perfection, no matter what. We cannot really abstain from food. And, and I need to apply that, that imperfection to everything I do. And so... In an imperfect way, I've learned to go to the gym. And when I first started going, I, I, I mean, I don't know about any of you, but have you ever joined a gym and then not gone? <laughs> I've done that. Have you spent hours beating yourself up but still not going? You know, that, like how do, you, how do we get from where we are to where we want to be? I guess where we want to be is like spin classes every day for 10 years or something, right? How do you get anywhere near there if you can't even walk in the door of the gym? You know, and where is exercise in our lives with our bodies? Where is exercise in my relationship with my body? Uh, again, music is part of that. It's practicing, but it's also breathing and being in the present moment in my body. And that's what happens when you go in the gym. There's your body. How do I deal with it? So when I first started going, my policy was, and my sponsor helped me figure this out, I didn't have to do anything. I just had to get there. I just had to go through the details of parking the car, walking in, being in there. I got to take jacuzzis. You know what I mean? I didn't have to do anything. I just needed to develop a habit. And that's what so much of this is. Our relationship with food is about a habit. It's about the actions we take to develop the habit. So if I walk in the gym and I go to this and I do a sauna every day for two weeks, I'm still more relaxed. I still feel better about myself. I still now know which locker I prefer. You know, I still now have practiced remembering my shampoo. I mean, these are things that are part of having a normal, healthy life. And also with food, you know, we have to deal with not just our bodies on that level, but 
practical things like grocery shopping. I mean, these are actions that we have to take. And it's just a question of habit. But how can I be loving with myself to help develop these habits? You know, if I go to the grocery shopping and I forget something, am I going to have a tantrum over that? You know, I might have in the past. Or if I buy a bunch of food that my kid likes and my husband likes, but not for me. All right. Thank you. I have to find a way to start fresh. So how do I go back in to the present moment and reapply and grab some more willingness to do the next right thing, given that it's always imperfect? Um, So I've needed a ton more patience than I had when I came in. I've needed a ton more listening to other people, practicing. And I've needed... I've needed to try to get in the present moment with reality. And so these are some things that's been suggested in the ways that it's helped me. The first thing, the first thing that people suggested was that I go to meetings. And at first when people said that, of course it was people outside the program who felt that I had a problem. <laughs> I, I, I was like, forget it. Or somebody who suggested a meeting and, and I thought it was a cult or I would hate it or I don't know what. Um, another suggestion that I I don't do as much as I would like to, but it helps me so much as phone calls, calling people. Again, calling my sponsors, really important. Um, as I said, shopping, meal plans, like making sure you have enough of something. If I don't, if I don't have the eggs, I can't hard-boil them. If they're not hard-boiled, I can't eat them. If, you know what I mean? If that's a healthy snack for me, I need to have enough in the refrigerator. Even if my husband eats them all, I have to figure out, I have to keep going even though it's imperfect. It's really practical. I mean, that's another thing about recovery that's so kind of weird and cool and is, is that it is huge and spiritual and all this other stuff, and it's really mundane. It's like, is my dish that I put my lunch in clean? If it's not, how do you get to work? You know, just working out all that stuff. It sounds simple, and it really isn't. Um, uh, so it's thinking ahead a little bit. About like today, my people I know in Oakland said to me that there was a food issue here. You weren't going to be able to get lunch. You needed to bring lunch. So I brought a lunch. Before OA, that was impossible. It would have meant I didn't come. You know what I mean? Or I, I don't know. I, I, need, I need to think ahead a little bit. Uh, another thing that, another plan that I have as part of every day, another plan of action, is meditation. So I sit down every day in the backyard, and at first, all I had to do was sit down. I got to get right back up. But I have to develop the habit of doing it, and the habit can be anything, five minutes, two minutes. You know, I, now it's about 15 minutes, and I really miss it when I don't do that. My sponsor would like it if I did that again in the afternoon, and I do that not as, I'm not, I, don't as, I don't have as strong a habit of that. But again, meditation is a powerful tool of the program, but it does require the action, finding the place to sit, actually doing it. So um, another thing that's been really, really, really important are this actually doing the step work. So having a sponsor, taking the time, scheduling the time, arriving on time, preparing it, doing it. I've had, had a lot of perseverance to actually complete those tasks because there's a lot of work to do in the steps. Um, but I really enjoyed that work. So that might just be me. It might just be weird. Um, and the other, another really important thing for me had to do with my sponsor specifically. And that was that while we were working together, she ended up having a couple of kids and her life changed. So she set aside a very specific time 
where I could call. And there was zero other times. There was just this one, 9 to 9.30 on this Wednesday, and I kept forgetting. And she'd ask me, is this, is this going to work for you? Oh, yeah, 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 I can do it, I can do it. Then I forget. Yeah, 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 I can do it. And then I forget. And I would be calling the next day. I would be, I was thinking it was a flexible boundary, and it wasn't. This was it. And I forgot so many times that she almost fired me a number of times. And I had to change. I had to become more reliable. I had to be there when I said I would be there or I was going to lose that sponsor. And I really didn't want to, as I've probably made clear, I believe her support has really helped me. And I didn't want to lose that. So I have to become more reliable. At first when she said that, I thought, God, she's so controlling. She's just impossible. Who would have, who would do, I would never do that. I have sponsees and I don't do that. But that's how she did it. And I had to respect her boundary. And then another thing is, is that she told me I had outside issues. She told me I needed outside help. She, my husband's an alcoholic. And I grew up around alcoholics. And she said, I don't have experience, strength, and hope about that. So I need you to go out and get some more support. And I said, but I like just working with you. And she said, that's nice. I'm glad you like just working with me. But you need more support. And you need to... Wrap up. You can't, I, you know, you need to go and get outside help. And because we're in this relationship where I listen to what she says, I listen to what she said. And I followed through with that. And so I go to Al Anon and I have another sponsor. You know, when she suggests something, I do it. She also suggested I get another sponsor who just takes my food, a food sponsor, somebody I can talk to more often, many times a week, maybe every day if I wanted to. I can text her. I can email her. I can tell her how I feel. And we just talk about my food because food is happening every day with me, many times a day. And I need sometimes, I need, I need flexibility too. So I took that suggestion, and that's been a really strong suggestion too. My food is much cleaner because I, I have the right level of support for me. Um, again, boundaries. Uh, another thing that, um, let's see, I also need help, always really help me understand that I do too much for other people and that I can have boundaries, that it's safe for me to say no. I needed to say yes today. I was going to be here anyway. It's an opportunity. This doesn't hurt me. If, if I needed to say no, now I can. Recovery's helped me understand that no is a complete sentence, and sometimes we have to say that to people and that that's okay. You know, I don't always have to do everything for other, everybody else. Um, uh, talking about that, I have a friend who I was sure needed to come today. And for her to come today, I would have had to pay for her registration. I would have had to drive two hours out of my time to pick her up. And she probably would have flaked at the last minute. So why am I forcing that? When can I accept life on life's terms? That other people are free. I mean, that's what people have told me here. People get to make their own decisions. Um, so let's see. So another thing that I do around this friend is, is that I found that I can ask other people for help, other people at meetings, other people on the phone, and I can say, hey, what should I do about today? And one thing that I was, somebody said to me today that was really important as I was coming here, and I was getting sort of nervous because I felt like I didn't really have time to prepare. Um, I've never been to this convention before. Um, uh, most of you I've never met, and I was a little bit nervous. And they said, you know, 
Why don't you say the serenity prayer before you speak? And, and try to breathe while you're talking. <laughs> that's a pretty good suggestion. So that's what I've done. Um, I, I can't tell you how much it means to me to be part of OA. It's 17 years. It's about 40 pounds weight loss. And, you know, I, I go to the gym three or five days a week. I use the elliptical. Sometimes I even spin. Not very often. Um, but I also practice music. You know, I walk the dog. I have sponsees. I have a life. I eat three meals a day. And if I have a snack, it has to have protein in it. Because I get to pick my own food plan. You know, from working with you, I learned that we're all different. And um, this is what works for me. And I'm really, really grateful to be in OA. So thank you for coming. And um, I hope that you keep coming back. Thank you, Doris. The meeting is now open for three-minute shares. Please sign the release form at the podium prior to speaking. Um, We ask that you limit your shares to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. This session will end at 11.15. Hi, I'm Mary, abstinent compulsive eater. Can you hear me? Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful panel uh, following directions. How many of us like to follow directions? I like to follow my own because I'm so creative and intuitive and God-blessed and all that. But I want to thank each of you. This panel came together, but you're so harmonious, and you each supported Uh, the other speaker. It's just wonderful. I hope you get to hear yourselves and get to hear uh, what you passed on. I was taking notes and, you know, taking direction. We got here. You know, we understood that there was a convention and we came and and we're we're here. We're sitting down and we're uh, being very respectful and resourceful. And I want to thank uh, the the person who's doing the timing and person who's doing the recording and all the uh, volunteers that made this today. So thank you very much. Hi, I'm Joanne from Mid Peninsula. So, in taking directions. It's interesting to me, you know, how our minds work. And um, I started OA in another, well, in Louisiana and uh, in 97. And I remember I would say, how do you work the steps? What do you mean? And then it'd be like someone would hand me for today or Voices of Recovery. And they said, if you read today's reading, you might find something that applies to you. So that was sort of my first direction. The other one, of course, was get a sponsor. Well, I didn't want a sponsor that was too strong because then I might have to do what she said. (laughs) Anyway, fast forward to 2005 and we move out to California. And the Mid-Peninsula, the meeting I went to has a how focus. And I saw this woman that had lost 100 pounds, but she was happy. 
And I thought, that's what I want. So there was a woman there that was available to call at a god-awful early hour that I didn't usually get up. She said, that's the only time I have. You'll have to call me then, you know. All right. So I said, okay. So, but what I heard someone or the speaker say about the willingness to be willing to be willing, and that's what I prayed because I thought, what in the world do you eat if you don't eat sugar and white flour, you know? So I needed a sponsor that would help me navigate those waters, (laughs) and then after 10 years, she left. So I had done pretty well. I thought, I don't need another sponsor, you know? I mean, I know how to do this now, right? And I just go to meetings, and I'll be okay. And it didn't work. And so um, I had to get a sponsor. And the sponsor I got, I, was, I actually was away on a trip at my son's house, and all the little kid stuff was there, you know, by there, all the goodies. And I thought, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it if I don't call and ask this person to be my sponsor. And I knew she was pretty strict, but I did. And anyway, I want to finish up with saying one of the directions that she gave me was she's going out of town for two weeks. You are to call this other sponsee of mine at such and such a time. I can't do that. My sponsee has, and he calls me at that time. You know, I mean, come on. I'm important here. (laughs) And then I thought, be willing to do what she's asking. It's for your recovery. So I changed my sponsee's time so that I could make the call at that time. And I'm so grateful to this person because I wouldn't be abstinent without her and without all of you. Thank you. Lori, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Directions, following directions. I start in the morning. Uh, if, if I don't get that morning med time in, I'm a mess. And my morning meds consist of a lot of quiet, good amount of prayers gathered from all kinds of places. And then a lot of the daily readings. And I find that that's it's it's a god thing where everything i need for that day it's like the here's the agenda this is what's going to happen it's not necessarily what i'm going to be doing for the day but it's all the emotional things i'm going to be dealing with whether it's the i need to relax the control because i have issues in codependency and my emotional regulation isn't, is now healthy, but it wasn't for a long time. And then just the release of everything, plus my own spiritual disciplines from my faith tradition. I need that first set of directions in the morning. And when I start it with the third step, including in my beginning, the third step prayer that I offer myself to you, God. 
and wrap it in the seven-step prayer. And there's something in the seven-step prayer that gives me immense comfort. I ask you to take all of me, good and bad, because I am going to screw up something. I just know it. It's me. It's who I am. I am a frail child of the universe. But my higher power can take all of me, good and bad, and use it. I don't want to be the bad example. But I know that for some people, I'm not going to be their cup of tea. But for somebody else, I am going to be able to serve them because of who I am and how God wired me and created me. That's the direction is when you give the day to God, it will go where it's supposed to go. Like taking five hours to get from Fremont to Sacramento yesterday. With that, I pass. Thanks. Hi, can you hear me? My name is Marilyn. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. And um, about two years ago, I had two strokes, and it made me retire. And I thought that was just so horrible and everything. But, you know, it really was God's hand, which is my higher power. Because I wouldn't make the time for recovery. I would, um, in 2009, I did a program where I lost 160 pounds, thought I had it all, but never finished past step nine. Never went on to 10, 11, and 12. Never carried the message. You know, and never stayed in program. Gained it all back. It wasn't until um, I was white-knuckling my abstinence in January. I was following a food plan. And um, my old sponsor invited me to a meeting in which I um, heard some speakers. And I was gracious and I was graced enough to get a, sp- um, a sponsor that meeting. And I have been neutrally abstinent ever since. And the interesting thing is what has happened in my life. So I'm retired, don't really have to get up at a specific time, don't really have to go to bed at a specific time, right? I'm retired. I worked hard for that. Here's the thing, I have to get up by 6.30 every morning to talk to a food sponsor, to get on the phone to do a meeting every morning at 7 o'clock. Got to be a service, and this is what my sponsor said. She goes, Marilyn, there's just only one thing that you have to do, and that is you have to change everything. I was like, well, crap, you know, who wants to change everything? And it's like, she goes, is it working for you? You know, is your life working for you? And it's like, no, no, it's not. Um, so you have to follow directions and you have to do what is required to have recovery. And to have recovery is to have a constant contact with your higher power. And it has to be a personal higher power. It cannot be a hand-me-down higher power that you get when you're born um, or what you're taught as a child. It's not that you can't continue that. It's that you have to have a real personal higher power. It's got to be your friend. It's someone that you take with you everywhere you go. It rides in your purse. It rides on your shoulder. You know, it's the one I constantly say, it's my conscience. It's the one who's going like, no, no, 
don't go there. Don't go into your mind unescorted. It's a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go there. Call somebody. Um, that's really all I have to say is, you know, you only have one thing to change, and it's everything. Even retirement doesn't get you out of it. So, <laughs> thanks. That is all the time we have for sharing. It's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the All-Star Media table to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and the main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the third step prayer that you find on page 8 of your program. <laughs>